Welcome to Inside Baseball with Old Chestnut. I'm Liam Allen with my friend, Morris Sachs. How you doing, MB? Better for seeing you, my friend. So you uh, you were in the great uh, white north, huh? I would never come back uh, if it was up to me. I, w- I would stay there forever. Really? It's the best. It's the best, dude. It's the secluded forest. There's nobody up there. The grocery yeah. store is an hour away. Uh the nearest hospital is 90 minutes. That's the only like kind of kind of yeah. skinny thing. Uh right. if things go bad, you're 90 minutes from the ER. Uh, but it's paradise, dude. Big sky at night. You know, nice. I was commissioned to see a moose. Okay. And I spent the majority of February in Maine with my four-year-old daughter driving around the woods. Um, and on like day 20. I see a little blue. No, let me tell you, I'm driving up the logging road and I see a car on the horizon with its hazards on. And I said, oh, well, oh, that is. Yeah. I said, I'm either changing a flat tire for an old lady or we got the moose. Um, And I've never I've never sped up, slowed down and done a three point turn faster. Uh, And sure enough. A hundred, a nah, hundred feet into the tree line, there she is—the elusive Maine moose. Unbelievable, because you know you—you'll you, never see a moose when you're sitting on a plane, right? <laughs> no, 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 dude. You know, deep in the woods, I was like seven hours into Maine, up by Canada. It's huge, huge, and there's nothing, nothing uh, but pine trees. Those are special moments that. When your daughter comes and visits you at the nursing home, she may try and refresh your memory. No, I'm I'm kidding. No, good for you. That's that's really oh, that's thank, you. thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm, I hope you got a, a little rest in. Yeah, I mean, yeah. No, it's very nice up there. It's just it's very relaxing, you know. Um, and the kid, you know, it's just me and my daughter for a while, and you know, we're high energy all day, but we wound it down at night. We we watched a little uh, of the fish concerts. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it was great. It was great. You know, my my show notes 
uh, indicate we were supposed to open with the mango song. What what happened? Am I in the wrong studio again? No, that was that was a nice poignant moment, and that like kind of tones down my 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 wise ass shtick. So I, well, we'll talk about. That. Okay. We'll get well, back to that. We'll get back to that if you want to. Talk. When when, uh, when you brought up moose. Um, you're probably too young, but there was this British TV show called Monty Python. Mm -hmm. And they had a movie called Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And at the beginning of the movie, when they're running the credits, there's this whole dialogue about, you know, a moose once bit my sister. Moose bites can be really dangerous. And I, out of the blue, I start texting my sister. I'm like, you know, moose bites can be pretty nasty. And she had no idea what I was talking about. And um, anyway, uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm excited for you. And, Thank uh, you. Thank you. We've, uh, we had our own uh, um, live animal experience here at uh, Shea Sachs West Coast. We've had a bobcat on the property. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I've seen one up close, and they're not very big. And we have two dogs, as you know. Um, but Cheryl and I had to make a very uh, short trip the other day, and we hopped on the plane. And, um, you know, I'm trying to listen to that 45, 40-minute 40 tweezer, right? Because that goes to places you don't normally get to. So I, I got the earphones on, and I'm I'm trying to toggle back and forth between transparency and <laughs> she's explaining how we have this bobcat and while there are no real danger to the dogs you just don't want them around right so i'm on my head yeah yeah and finally i have to say something so so what are you what are you gonna do and she says well the number one way to get rid of bobcats is to get wolf urine and spray it around the property. Makes sense. Yeah. And she shows me the thing uh, on Amazon. <laughs> and I don't know how much. It's like $30 for some amount. Let's call it a gallon, right? And she goes, well, what do you think? And I said, well, you got to get it. And I, she says, why? I said, we're, we're 45,000 feet. How many people in their life can say they bought wolf urine at 45,000 feet? <laughs> so we get the wolf urine. And um, anyway, uh, you know, uh, you haven't been to my place out here, but it's it's really turning into a little bit of a dick measuring contest. Uh, is an example. I was going to say, I haven't been there, but I've seen it in Architectural Digest. So I, I get the gist of it. <laughs> Okay. Two guys that I know, okay, that I know that live within a mile of me have both bought Global 5000s, the most <laughs> expensive. How many passengers? How many passengers? I don't know, 20? 20? You know, it can make it, it can't make it to Australia unless you stop. In Hawaii, you know, it's tough. Limited, it's tough. limited, limited range. But, but both of these guys, very, very, very different background. Both warm, generous. I mean, the kind of guy, if you're going to see someone buy that kind of thing, you really, these are the kind of people you root for. So we're having dinner 
with one of these guys and, and the wife on uh, Friday night. And so um, I mentioned this thing about buying the, the wolf urine at 47,000 feet. And he goes, why would you do that? And he says, have you done it? And he goes, no. I go, that's why. Bingo. <laughs> now I got that one on you. <laughs> but, um, you know, I don't know what led me down this path, but on the website last week, I put a picture of a black Rolls Royce. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not mine. Okay. But... <laughs> You know, it's living in one, it's it's parked on the street in one of what I would call the B-level neighborhoods. I thought that was in front of the golf club. Okay, that's in front of somebody's house. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, and obviously this shows my lack of sophistication. If you park a Rolls on the street, you know, there's landscaping trucks that drive in and out of here. There's gardeners there's the the garbage men can you imagine coming out like a new york city garbage guy swinging yeah. the back of that yeah. truck and hitting that rolls royce but uh to take it up a step further and because uh we're going to press late here this picture won't appear on the website till later in the week but so i live in this area uh of scottsdale arizona where somehow 25 years ago, somebody bribed somebody and gave the developer a permit to build houses right into the mountain at this McDowell Mountain Preserve. And it's it's beautiful, except you got all these houses on it. Now, to be fair, uh, most people aren't going to see them and, and this and that, but um, one thing I learned uh, through reading about mountaineering, because I had some interest in that, is, you know, as big and as tough as these mountains are, they, they move. They move slowly and they leave havoc in their wake. As a simple example, the most deaths, I, I believe, I know, based on several comments this week, I'll be fast checked on this but i think the most deaths on everest come on this thing called the kambu icefall and it's basically a river of ice but you would think ice frozen at you know 29000 feet isn't going to move but there's such tremendous pressure that every so often with greater frequency than you would think the thing moves and it just it's out of control, right? So a lot of uh, people over the years have built houses into the side uh, sides of the mountain here. And I remember talking to one of the builders three or four years ago, saying to him, you know, I'm seeing you put up these retaining walls. These things are as big as the Hoover Dam." It seemed to me now that's a bit of an exaggeration, but they're but they're pretty fucking big. And uh, I said, you, you're comfortable with that? And he's like, oh, we've had the, the seismic and the environmental engineers come out and they've said, you know, it's it's OK and it's not a problem. And we've got all these new techniques. 
Anyway, a house uh, about a mile from here that's under construction, half of the mountain just fucking slid. Okay, and I'll put the I'll put the picture up. Now, I know that there was a little chuckle in there, and I uh, for, forgive me for that because this is not a chuckleable thing. So you have these multi-million dollar houses that are built into the mountain, and they've been signed off on by this geotech guy. I don't know who he is, but he's he's insured, and we can come back to that in a minute. But um, I don't think people fully appreciate Mother Nature and the fact that mountains are dynamic living things, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're gonna, at some point in the next 30 years, you're going to have one of these houses just fucking come loose. And um, the reason I claim to have some minimal expertise on this is you may recall in one of my... Uh, attempts to join the, uh, the the family of real estate developers in New York City. So we found uh, one of the partners had a relationship with a, a, um, a parking lot guy, and his family had bought a surface lot, you know, just a plane, no building, no structure, just, just a surface lot, asphalt. And it's kind of near the garden. Yeah, wow. So, Laz is the big one in the city. Laz, L-A-Z, Laz Parking. <laughs> okay, this is this is a smaller mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Indi Indian fellow. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, we pencil the thing out. You know what they do is they don't sell you the land. They they sell you a ninety nine year lease. So every year we give them some money and and whatever we build on there at the end of ninety nine years becomes becomes there theirs. But again, the math guys who listen to the show know that the difference between 35 years and 99 years is basically zero. So it, it doesn't matter. But we go to do all our homework on this thing and we get the geotech engineer and the, the environmental guy and, oh, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's fine. So we, we go to work and we start digging, digging the foundation. And all of a sudden, there's two older three-story buildings on either side of the surface lot. Well, the owners start screaming because they're getting cracks in their walls. Nice. And what we're noticing is, first of all, the surface is not as um, unpermeable as we thought. That's number one. Number two, 50 years of guys emptying out oil and gasoline into the gutter, right? It's an environmental disaster. But there's a building on either side of the lot that now that there's a hole, it, it's starting to... Okay. Yep. Well, MB, welcome to the world of secants and whalers. <laughs> you don't want to know. So... I'm like, well, we, we got insurance and yeah, we got insurance, but you know, insurance doesn't cover time. And so that set us back like, I don't know, two years. So two years on a construction loan, right? I mean, that niche get that, wow. that, Okay. And as I said to my wife, they said, the other thing insurance doesn't cover is if you're in the building and you die, you're still dead. Yeah. 
Yeah. Insurance doesn't bring you back from being dead. So I look at all these guys in these 10, $15 million homes. One of the owners uh, has a guy who works for him that actually listens to the show. I can see his house from my house. This is not going to end well. You do not want to, you do not want to step foot in this house. Jeez. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's what's going on around uh, Scott. So we've had an influx, not an influx, but we've had a spike in robberies. Nice. Because, I mean, huge home invasion. I know. People being uh, attacked on the golf course. All the money. Yep. Wow. Attacked on the golf course? Yeah, that's that's. they're trying to keep it quiet because it's a private club. But uh, somebody told me, uh, somebody told me that. So... You know, around here, meaning my house, um, guns really aren't wanted, okay? Uh, the missus is certainly is an NFW, right? I'm not that blanket about it, but statistically speaking, from my perspective, I know the comments will come in, but from my perspective, it is only only can be bad, right? People take their own life. People think it's an intruder and they shoot their wife, although, you know, that's a little questionable. But in, in any event, um, I, I now feel a little unprotected. So I was looking at taking some handgun lessons. And, you know, being a big fan of the John Wick empire um uh i've looked at all these guns and uh um one of the websites i forget which one it was the name will come to me uh in a, in a little bit um in fact i might i might have it here hang on one second and handguns best handguns for jews <laughs> um yeah, so I went to the handgun site for Timber. Okay. Now, that, that may not resonate with you, but that's um, a gun that was used in the John Wick okay. series, the Kimber 1911, actually. Course, so I, yes, went yeah. to, I went to the Kimber website, and um, they made reference to making a pepper spray gun. Mm-hmm. So I... I Kind of lost track of it. And the other day I went up to Amazon and I typed Kimber pepper spray and it came up and, um, you know, four star review or whatever the best review is. And they're not, they weren't cheap, but they weren't a lot. I think they were like 40 bucks a piece. Right. So I ordered a couple and, um, you know, am I ever going to need it? I, really unlikely, but the best way to know you won't need it is to have one, right? So I order a couple. And, you know, I'm one of these guys, like, you hear about people, they prepare for dangerous things, but then they, they never practice the, yeah. the, the the emergency protocol. Like yeah. So we, we would occasionally. So I figured before I get put in a situation where I got to use this thing, and shoot myself in the face, I better go outside and I better practice with this thing. So I go outside and I check which way the wind's blowing. 
and I put the sunglasses on and I aim at a tree and I pull the trigger on this thing. And I will tell you something. If you hit something with this thing, it's stopping. (laughs) Now, the point is to hit the guy in the face. Yeah. I got news for you. That that's going to be a little tough because it this thing comes out of the gun at over 100 miles an hour. It might as well be a fucking bullet. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, my advice or my plan is if I'm forced to use it, I'm going to try and hit the guy in the chest. Okay. Well, I mean, let's be realistic. So um, anyway, that concludes that portion of the show. The Kimber. Kimber makes a nice gun. How much do you think a gun costs? Do you have any idea? You know, a lot. Uh, how do I phrase this? I don't know. I would say for me, affordable. Certainly. Um, I, can't, I can't imagine there. T- I mean, a couple thousand bucks. Thousand bucks. You can get a Kimber nine millimeter pistol for a thousand bucks. Really? Seems cheap. <laughs> yeah. Inex- inexpensive. Okay, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I think that uh, um, according to Uncle Mark, uh, Biden's stepping up the border stuff. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I haven't. Oh, Uncle Mark to worry about Chicago. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think he needs more than one of these Kimber pepper spray guns. Um, <laughs> The uh, the thing that struck me was I I know there we've been getting more activity on the um, the website which uh, is good news and bad news I I'm delighted that people are taking the time to share their thoughts with us um, the bad news is some of it's you know gets I find a little I don't know. I don't know how to put it. Weird. Okay. Uh, one guy, one guy said he, for whatever reason, Googled Morris Sachs and Leadville. Yeah. And he discovered that the first rabbi in Leadville was Morris Sachs. Totally bizarre. Totally, totally bizarre. bizarre. But I, I think the implication was that I didn't do it. No, 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 no. I think it was just the, un- the unbelievable coincidence that 120 years ago, the first rabbi in Leadville, Colorado, <laughs> happened to be named Morris Sachs. Like, what are the chances? Yeah, uh, well, that was that was a deal done between God and the Jews that if they put a rabbi in Leadville 120 years later, one of their people would succeed. That's incredible. Good deal. Yeah, I've been to Leadville. It's a nice place to visit once once a year. Um, so I, I I don't know. The other thing somebody mentioned about, it, and I wanted to spend a little time on this. Um, I had made some remarks about David Einhorn, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, yep, I yep. think the uh, one of the listeners wrote in, and I think this was on the surface, fairly reasonable, but I think it indicates a lack of understanding. Uh, I I understand it's a little hard to have a debate when one side can't respond, but the point was, the, the listener felt I was a little unfair to David Einhorn. 
because he, at least he, yada, yada, yada. Um, now, I didn't go back and listen to it. I apologize. I was too transfixed with watching these two other YouTube videos they wanted me to watch. I, I had to turn them off because it was just 15 minutes of, of dick sucking each other off about how great they were. Um, and I don't, I'm not going to buy into that. But the message to uh, the listener about David Einhorn complaining about the broken market. Okay. You have to understand something. Trades are not static. They're dynamic. If you're going to survive in this business, you have to understand that the trade that worked yesterday is probably not going to work tomorrow. In the military, they use the phrase, no three on a match. Because by the third guy, the sniper's zeroed in. Okay, so imagine Mr. Einhorn, Einhorn and all his genius figures out the ultimate trade. Well, you have thousands, if not tens of thousands, of bright, aggressive young men scouring the markets, looking for patterns, looking for repetition, not to mention the people that work at Greenlight or wherever he works, telling their friends how David Einhorn's making all his money. And so eventually the trades, the trades go away, right? It's just like if someone invents something new, I don't know, like a zipper. Okay, well, the first guy with the zipper is going to get the great price. By the time China figures it out, they're not going to make any money. So, you know, one of the challenges, and my, my middle daughter flattered me, reminding me of a quote, which was the toughest thing about being uh, successful is staying successful. You know, you figure something out, people are smart. And what, what did I do? And I'm not even going to say I'm smart, but you, you, you see who's bragging about making money and what they're doing, and you reverse engineer things. And then next thing you know, you're doing it. And um, uh, so I, I don't think the answer, the market is broken, is a, is a grown up mature attitude. I'm, I'm not going to, I mean, listen. I've managed traders for pick a number. I'm not going to put a number on them. And the worst excuse for losing money I ever heard, okay, was not the market's broken. It was I was hiking in the Autobahn sanctuary over the weekend, and I was bitten by a tick. And I think it affected my judgment. And no, somebody said that? A person with a PhD said that to me. With a straight face. I said, well, what do you mean it's affected your judgment? He said, well, I sold 100 million tenure notes, um, and I'm not sure what to do. And now, you know, I, I give you these numbers. Keep in mind, numbers today versus way back when, but that was a lot of tenure notes. And you know what? It's still a lot. And, you know, the excuse that I got bit by a tick, I, I don't know. I, I, we could take a poll. Which is better, that or the market's broken? 
I mean, the fact that you say I got bit by a tick in the preserve is bananas. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I don't feel the least bit bad. I don't feel bad at all for any of these hedge fund guys. In fact, you know, I, I just, yeah. right. I'm, still, I'm still waiting for our uh, listeners who pay nothing to have one of them run my claim that you cannot make money investing in hedge funds. You know, my, my point of, if, if you if multi, you know, if you do, if you diversify over three different managers, okay. And you pay them 2% fee, win, lose, or draw. And you pay them 20% of the ups and you keep all of the downs. I'm saying without some bizarre uh, variation of returns, you cannot make money. And yet no one's proved me wrong on that. And I, I, I think years ago when my oldest daughter worked for me, we, we tried doing that. And it, it's like, oh, I, I, how about all those guys they tell you they go to Las Vegas? Oh, I, I, you know, I, when I go, I win. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, maybe you did, but you didn't stay long enough. Okay, um, so you know, to date, I still haven't gotten the balance of the money back on my side pocket, and the private equity guy who I think I'm in ten years now uh, still has a balance. They're the ones I told you they were supposed to be the best of the best and invested in the Greek yellow pages. Do we talk about that? Yes, yes, yes. I I was ruminating over many of these things because a couple of episodes I've said, you know, I don't just want to be the angry old guy shouting at clouds. So I'd like to explain, if I may, some personal experiences, which um, may uh, lead you to understand sort of the suspicious attitude I have towards these things. These are uh, all real. I'll, I'll change the names and stuff so you won't know. But this is in, this is in my life. Okay. So um, I've seen relatives go into these um, uh, charitable foundations. Okay, so the deal is this. You can set up a charitable foundation. You put the money in today. You get the tax deduction today. And over a certain amount of time, you have to donate that money out of that trust. Okay, so uh, I saw an instance a long time ago where the trustee was just paying his own bills, his personal bills out of the charitable foundation. Um any number of times I've seen custodians for children go in and, and uh, take money for themselves. One thing I've noticed is as people get older, I don't mean 50, but when they get into their 70s, it's not unusual for them to start to get, and understandable, but anxiety over money. And so I, 
I know like in my own case, I, my father had passed, my mother was getting older and uh, Cheryl and I were um, uh, supporting her. And so we had her, we had her on a budget and every so often she would uh, say, you know, the cost of medicine's going up, the cost of food's going up. Can you bump me up this much? Okay. And of course. I mean, we never had a good relationship, but she was my mother. And, and so anyway, it doesn't occur to me, but this whole time, I didn't, I didn't realize it until after she passed away, um, you know, every increase in Social Security, every, um, every uh, delivery from the pharmacy that I got the bill that Medicare paid. Yeah. Well, none of the, you know, so she dies conceivably with a small amount of money. It was six figures. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, I'm not laughing, but that's incredible. When I spoke to a trust and estate attorney, they looked at me and they go, get in line. It happens all the time. When when children, when adult children are giving money to their parents, the parents are always apparently overstating the need. Yeah. Uh, wow. Understating their other sources of income. Yeah, yeah. When you think of it, I, I just, I don't have the firsthand experience, but I know in my mother's life, every so many years, you get a bump in Social Security. Uh, I never got a decreasing amount I sent her, you know, and, and I would say I've got 10 examples like this of people really acting well, stealing. And, you know, so then we get to talk about the markets and I had this background of going into these situations where people have just behaved absurdly poorly they violated ethical moral legal things and then we start talking about you know a guy claiming the market's broke like you know i i just don't i just don't have the patience for it and you know i was um uh, you and i both get the 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 mostly daily anthony peters um newsletter which is uh excellent uh, if you if you don't get it, you haven't read it. You should you should try and get access to it. But a Anthony was more or less talking about how he's felt a little disconnected from the market recently. I may be paraphrasing it, or it may be transference. It may be just what I'm feeling, and I I claimed he said it. I don't care. He's a friend. But the last couple of weeks, and you've repeated this. I I've told you. For me, it really felt like we were going to get a lot of chop and kind of go sideways more or less. Yep. Yeah, I would imagine the stock market's probably a little higher. I think the bond market might be a little stronger, but all of a sudden I, I, I just, I just like lost interest in following it. I mean, the, the news is uninteresting. The news has become severely, severely biased. You know, you read about the death toll in Gaza and you do the math and the math doesn't add up. 
there was a story. This is this is the uh, Gelman amnesia, which was invented by uh, Bill Ackman. Um, Goldman Sachs put out the best trade ever, the most obvious trade in the fixed income market is the yield curve normalization trade. Okay, well, that's obtuse. Okay, I, I, can you think of a, a worse word? It's fine. Maybe you're a stupid motherfucker. Yeah. The curve's inverted. It will be normal, okay? It will, it's not, it doesn't matter. The trade carries so negatively, your timing has to be exquisite. So you can win all the battles you want, but you're going to lose the, the war. And by the way, the GOAT, Stan Druck, I, I don't know where he is on his trade, but it, first of all, I would bet he's out of it. Secondly, I would bet he's down a lot of money because, you know, you you got to pay to be in that trade. And one of the things I always believed in was don't be in trades if you can avoid it, that you have to pay to be involved. And the problem with that trade is twofold, threefold. One is everyone's got it on because it's so obvious. Secondly, it carries negatively. And I think I haven't run the math, but I'm guessing it carries big negatively. And finally, unlike an option expiration or futures expiration, there's no dynamic to cause proper convergence. You just have to sit there and suck on that big negative carry wazoo every fucking day. And I, I, I've told you this story. I'll repeat it just because, you know, we got time to fill. But EG and I had one of these trades on. And I... I think it was a steepener. Uh, but again, it was sort of negative carry. And we were just sitting there one day and we've been lugging it around. And I was, I or we were convinced it was going to go normal. But it just, I just snapped. It's like, I just can't take this fucking negative carry every day. And I, and I said to him, just take it off. And he, and he, and he, he listened, he took it off. And not an hour later, I don't know, not 10 minutes later, the thing started motoring and never looked back. And I, I, I've said this, and I don't remember how I said it the first time, but I remember the feeling. I, I couldn't look at it. I could not physically looking at this person I cared about and just taking this trade off that we've been agonizing over for weeks and out of the blue, Minutes before the thing starts to go, I get out. And there, Dennis Garman, who people make used to make a lot of fun of, I, there was a lot of value in the stuff. But one of the things he's one of the things he said, which is very true, is when you have a trade that you've agonized over and you get out, and you realize you were wrong to get out, getting back in, impossible. It's the hardest thing. No one ever does it. And I, I I saw that happen to me, and I had to watch that fucking curve move. I don't know what it was, hundreds of basis points. And, uh, you know, so that's why, for me, my personality, you know, I don't like the negative carry. And um, uh, so the reporter, 
Ann Goldman, nowhere from what I saw did they explain, oh, by the way, this trade carries negatively. And if you hold it for three months, you're going to lose uh, X millions of dollars. There's nowhere in there. But I got a better one for you. I better, I think. So, you know, I've had the good fortune to travel to Alaska. Not not once, but but twice. And both times I've been there, uh, and I've been in the mountains a lot, and there's certain sort of things you learn, like below 10,000 feet, you don't drink running water. Like above 10,000 feet, I think it's okay. Below 10,000 feet, you get this disease. And I think the mountain people call it beaver fever, which I mentioned to my friend Henson once. And he says, you know, I, I think I've gotten that below 10,000 feet, but that's a story for another time. But uh, apparently, well, so we're in Alaska and we're going up to see the glaciers and glaciers are fucking cool. And to the extent we talked about the, the Kambu icefall, so these glaciers are moving. And I don't mean like I don't mean like they're moving in the water. Like there's billions of tons of pressure. As you get close to a glacier, if you close your eyes, it will remind you of being on a construction site in New York City. You'll think you hear sirens, you think you hear table saws, you think you hear wood snapping. But of course, everyone thinks, well, that ice must be so pure, right? And so James Grant of Grant's Interest Rate Observer talks about how apparently some company is taking glacier ice and sending it to bars, a bar in Dubai. Nice. And putting it in fancy drinks. Okay. Well, again, so I'm on this boat in Alaska and I look down and the water is pristine. And I said to one of the guys, hey, do you mind if I stick a stick a glass in and take a sip of it? He goes, yeah, you can do it, but I wouldn't. And I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, there's very, very, very fine particles of minerals in there because the the glacier is just not the simple piece of ice, right? Yeah. It's fucking thing kicking up. Chewing up everything in its way, yeah. yeah. And um, he said, what people who would drink a lot of the, the glacier water, the, these particles get trapped in their kidneys. And it can be either very um, painful or it, it can cause death. And seeing as these ice cubes are going to Dubai with a lot of Arabs, it'd be my preference if nobody passed that tidbit along. But in an effort, in an effort to um, be thorough, and let me see if I can find it without knocking out mm -hmm. the, um, the program. I looked up, um, on Google. So therefore, if you were to drink straight glacial water, this is from Google. 
you would likely be consuming fecal matter and bacteria with it. Nice. Additionally, the U.S. Park Service recommends against drinking water from a natural source that hasn't been filtered or purified. So I'm in favor of shipping all of that it's glacier ice over to the Middle East and drink up. Yeah. So don't tell the people in Dubai, but somebody let Zervos know, okay? Because that's, that, that's in his kill zone. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So that's another article where people are writing about stuff that they didn't do any fucking homework about. And uh, yeah. Uh, All right. Well, we got to give Dr. Slock something to write for tomorrow morning. Um, so we should probably we should probably talk about right, the, the, the for the for aforementioned forthcoming rate hike or hold. OK, by the way, once again, it bears repeating. And this is why we continue to be the number one podcast around the world. I'm so proud of your call about the the interest rates. So I'm I'm curious as to what you think. What, what, what do you see rates doing? Uh, they're going to hold them. They can't hike them again. You can't hike before the election. I think that that doesn't look great. Um, I think they can hold them, but you've had two. Now, Raphael Bostic, is, he's got a big mouth. He's a big talker from the Atlanta sure. And he's a voter, all right? And he said, he was like, I could see, you know, the rate, there'll be a hike, but it'll be later in the year. I know he's just talking, and you said, watch what they do, not what they say. And he can say that, Um but I don't I don't see what are they going to cut rates with the, the S&P 500 all time highs and the economy turning along? Yeah, Maybe that may, you said they were going to hike until they break something. Is New York yeah. Community Bank enough that they've broken? Have, have they done any damage or slowed down the white hot economy? So I, I said they were going to hike until they broke something. And um, hey, market's broken. <laughs> there was this thing. I, I have to. I have to find this thing because we're going back to the um, the. Uh, oh, if I don't find this, I'm going to be some kind of fucking pissed. Somebody. I had a newsletter. Oh, remember I used to subscribe to these newsletters and spend all. That time. I'm not going to give you the name of this newsletter, but I was spending at least 10 grand a year for this thing. The The date is September 18th, 2022. So we're, we're over a year, right? We advise the utmost, utmost caution. We continue our extreme warnings that began early in April. The Fed seems determined to break the global economy and the connection between the real economy and financial assets. After decades of the Fed put, this is not yet fully understood by the market participants, but that time is coming soon, which in bold could create conditions for a market crash. Oh, so That was September 8th. We are March 3rd, 2024. So that's not quite two years. I, have you seen a crash? Uh, no. All I've seen is the market go up and to the right. Up, 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 yeah. up, yeah. up, up, yeah. up, 
up. And I profited by not sending them another check for <laughs> Good. whatever. And uh, so that's why I, I continued to think um, these news services, you know, these these pay pay guys, um, I, you know, I, I really like I really like Lev Borofsky, I think his name is uh, at the Daily Shot. First of all, I'm not sure. I think it's a hundred bucks. I, let's just say that's right. And it's like all journalism. There's a little bias to it, Fine. but it's, it's not overt. It may be yeah. a little subtle, but he just gives you the facts. And, you know, you look at this stuff long enough, you figure it out. You don't need, I mean, let's talk about the guys who win the Nobel prizes. Okay. Um, I think there was a paper by uh, two University of Chicago economists, I think, Medigliani and Miller. Um, and basically, again, this is all from memory, but I think they claimed that it didn't matter whether a firm raised its equity through debt or real equity meaning whether you borrowed the money or investors put up the money. And they made various assumptions. Well, the, it's nonsensical because you know that if a company goes into trouble, the bondholders are the ones taking the whack, or excuse me, the equity holders are the ones taking the whack. The bond guys are preferred treatment in liquidation. And so how can there not be any difference in how you structure your company? Well, because they make all these assumptions. It's the same thing with the Black Shoals that I, I've said way too many times. You know, that you build enough assumptions in these things and and you you have garbage. And uh, um, so a long way of saying, I, I think, you know, I'm feeling a little bit of Anthony Peters malaise. The markets just don't seem interesting. And I did a little bit of a, a kind of a self revisit to the portfolio, right? Because what what what's our mantra? It's like each person has to do what's right for them, right? And I kind of looked at my age, the yields, the needs, and as I said to uh uh, e.g., you know, I, I'm going back into ride off into the sunset mode. You know, I, I've got this stuff parked comfortably in a mixture of fixed income, some real estate, some cash. You know, one, one. I don't know how much time we have left, and I'll try and get to it quickly if we can fit it in. But the, the question that comes up year after year is what happens when they ring the bell, we got to pay off the debt. And the conventional wisdom is going to be that they're going to inflate their way out of the problem. I I don't have a crystal ball. I, I don't know. I don't know how to assign probabilities to these things. But what I've done is, first of all, I'm not worried about it at the moment because why should I? We've got an inverted yield curve. 
So people are very comfortable holding long paper. But the two things I've always tried to do, because they'll tell you in a period of high inflation, you do not want to own long paper. Yeah, that's right. But nobody says you got to take all your assets and stick it in long paper. So what I have done, and this is me and me only, it's not investment advice, but I have my fixed income stuff scattered all over the map in terms of maturity. I have a fair amount of stuff that could be considered cash. Because if you do go into a period of very high inflation, the yield on cash is going to go up. So you get some benefit there. Um, I have uh, real estate properties. The rentals will go up, which they are already going up. I've given up on the lead metal. Um, you know, I tried, didn't work out, but, uh, you know, only a fool keeps trying to do the same thing with no result. So I moved on. And uh, so that's sort of my solution to being in a situation where I don't have a clear understanding of where where we're going. The The employment stuff is stronger than I would have expected. I don't know what's going to happen with the immigration. Uh, their productivity increases. There's this artificial intelligence, which I don't personally buy into. But uh, if that is a, a productivity enhancer, that should be good. So there's a lot of things up in the air. And and we say this probably every show about, you know, being careful this or that, but I, I don't really feel compelled to make any major, major moves here. It's just like, don't just do something, sit there. And when you as an investor get committed to something, that's when you, you go after it. It's not when you have all these things, you know, like the Russia stole of uh, a communication with German generals, how they were going to blow up a bridge and invading the Ukraine. And you've got uh, Iran trying to stir the pot and all these. And then we've got a presidential election coming up. And I don't know. I, I mean, the, the problem with having a position and losing money, which small investors d don't really understand, if you're a large investor and you have a position and you're wrong, first thing you got to do is get out of being wrong, which means you got to get out of a large position in a market that is telling you you're wrong. And trust me, that is not where you want to be. Because you got, in the old days, you'd have guys who had market sense. Now you got these bots. You put an offer in on anything, there's an offer one cent lower. You lower it a cent, they lower it another cent. And, and they don't care because they'll lose a penny on 100 shares. Because it's yep. a penny. Yep. And they're just waiting to, you know, trigger the stops. And, and so... Um, you know, I'm not forecasting gloom and doom. I'm I'm just saying, you know, there's times to let out the line and there's times not to. And I, I really feel 
when I don't feel comfortable in having a vision of the direction of things, it's just too easy for me just to pull the oars in and go with the tide for a while. Because, you know, if you own fixed income, and by the way, three-month bill, 30-year bond, same yield, plus or minus, I mean, I can... I can check it. It won't. It won't take me long. The um, the thirty year yields of four thirty two, and the three month yield, three month bill yields of five thirty eight, five and three eighths. Oh, now there, there's not a huge penalty for being liquid. Now the convexity maven would tell you, well, you know, if the yield on the thirty year bond drops, it's going to move a whole lot more than the three-month bill, and that, that is a matter of fact. On the other hand, if the yield on the 30-year bond goes up by 100 basis points, um, you're going to be doing some splaining to your significant other or looking for a job. Mm -hmm. uh, either one of those I'd prefer to avoid. Yep, um, yep. So. so now that you got the moose off the list, what's next? I think I'm going to start buying some Bitcoin. Okay. Let me let me know how that goes. Another whiff, another swing and a miss by old chestnut. I don't know, dude. It's just bizarre. I mean, like it's been getting daily infields, but like I've got, I've heard it's a boring market from a lot of people. A lot of people have been like, ah, you know, not like what, what, what's exciting? Like everyone's sick of talking about Nvidia. We're sick of talking about AI. Sick of talking about rate hikes, and now they're just stuffing Bitcoin down your throat. All like you, you can't get away from it. Bloomberg, CNBC, FT. Pick your, pick your venue, and it's Bitcoin. Da 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 da. Um. And the stock market has been up 14 the last 16 weeks or whatever it you, is. You, I have an idea. You, you don't have to do it. but So you get a lot of your news on the radio driving around during the day, right? Yep. yep. Okay. Books on tape. Dude, I got Bloomberg Radio. I got Bloomberg 1130 AM, which I listen to here in New York. I love Bloomberg Radio in the morning. I got it crystal clear in Jackman, Maine. Crystal clear. I got my truck. The truck was on eleven thirty. I got. I woke up to Bloomberg surveillance. I said, "You gotta be kidding me!" The power of Mike, Mayor Mike, sending it up to Maine. Yeah. Somebody in network passed down this idea while you were away. We set up our own network where we get Anthony Peters comes in at five a.m. to cover the overnight markets. Okay, you come on at. Eight morning drive, yeah, and do, and do the kind of yeah. morning opening, and then at the market open, Leslie and I do a three-hour chat about the market. Wow, that, okay. that's been getting bounced around while you were away. I like the drive time. Um, I'll take morning drive. Um, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think Anthony would mind taking the because he's five hours ahead he's over yeah. in england yeah he can do the overnights yeah absolutely yeah. Um, we're doing that for free too or i i, I mean that's it's big money involved um anthony's got a charity coming on the horizon too so we're gonna we're gonna pump that thing up um for yeah. the old, uh the old uh the cotswold like yeah, yeah. The cotswolds there um yeah, so that that was it, dude. Bitcoin's been annoying me. I don't want to talk about Bitcoin, dude. I don't care about it, and it's you know, it's it it pains me to hear, oh, it's up whatever it is, eighty percent since you know one year ago. I'm like, okay, great, you know. It's, um, it's up because they made it available to widows and orphans, right? Which, by the way, is cut into 
um, Uncle Mark and mine's business because they have less money for us to steal. Exactly. So we're having to cut back. Yeah. Uh, I don't um, know. That's it, man. Yeah, markets have been boring, dude. Um, so yeah, like I turned on the Bloomberg radio, I listened to ten minutes, and when they started talking about Bitcoin, I said, "See you later." I said, "You know, we'll, we'll be back next week." Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, um, it's it's the it's the tail end of a stagnant, you know, news cycle of the winter. You're you're getting close to the politics, but the politics and has become shut the radio or shut the TV off. I can't do it here in March. All right. It's like 80 degrees out here. I'm going to go outside. All right. And I'm going to ignore all this nonsense until something happens. All right. So what do we get this week? We get Powell's going to talk. He's going to, you know, some testimony. I'm going to read tea leaves on Wednesday and what, you know, did some McConnell passed away, huh? Who? Mitch McConnell? No, he didn't. Did he really? Oh, I'm sorry. He just retired. Oh. That's, that's the same thing, right? Same thing. Yeah, I mean, he's been a... <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Heard it here first. Oh man. Um. Oh, I know what I want to do. You won't... Spotify, speaking of the network... The network pulled our show off the air. Spotify censored the fish show. So Apple, so Spotify, yeah, that's a bad job on Spotify's part because that, you know, you took away from the children and you took away from fish. Okay. Fish isn't making boatloads of money. Okay. And people are listening to Spotify. We're helping you here, Spotify. Okay. People come to you. Yeah. They advertise. Do you know? I never realized this. They, they put ads around our shit. We don't get any of that. Yeah, yeah see, that's why. That's what I mean. That's like who who benefits more? I think Spotify benefits from us, okay, more than we benefit from some Spotify because everyone can listen to us on Apple. A lot of people listen to us on Apple. A lot of people listen to us on Google or right on Podbean. All right, so Spotify taking down the fish is a bad job on Spotify's network uh, on their part. And if they, and keep, the I'll, pull the, I'll pull the show from from Spotify if that's if they're gonna do that. You know that's. That's network. That's between you and them. But that was the forty-five minute tweezer, right? Was. Remember, I was. I was. I watched that on TV, and I sent you and Ed a note. I'm like, holy shit! Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a it's a rock opera. Okay. It's unbelievable, unbelievable. These guys are amazing. So, anyway. All right. That's been fun. Uh, we're right on time. We did it. Um, we're back. So if anyone has any questions inside baseball cast at Gmail and, uh, yeah, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy talking about Bitcoin all week. Like it's, you know, I don't know what to tell you folks. I look at the two year every morning and I see nothing going on. I check at the end of the day, I see Carvana's up another 10% and I, and I close, I close the phone. Okay. That's what I do. I go away. You have one of those flip phones. I'm gonna. I would have smashed it if I had a flip phone and I opened it and saw a cover. I would have smashed it into the corner of my countertop to just destroy it. I know how to make it go down. <laughs> okay, buy some, <laughs> dude. Dude, if I every Monday morning I should have gone in and bought it, and I just can't do it. I can't do it. All right, my friend. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, great to yeah. see you. Be careful Welcome home. Wildlife out there. Um, you know. Welcome home. Okay. All right. Take Bye. care. Bye. Bye.